I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition... As the summer sun fades into a distant memory, we give you practical advice on what to do now to prepare your plants for the months ahead. Wildlife, good and bad. Tips from RHS experts on how to encourage beneficial beasts and protect against pests. We'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens. And multi-award winning nursery owner Neil Lucas discusses his lifelong plant passion. I sometimes not quite sure whether I chose grasses or grasses chose me because I love shrubs and therefore I love the autumn with all the autumn colour. I wonder whether the grasses were a natural extension for me because they probably look at their best in the autumn into winter. We'll hear about ornamental grasses, tall and short. Easy to care for, these popular perennials can add colour, structure and beauty to every garden, big or small. But first, grass of a different type. Having heard our podcast from RHS Garden Rosemore in Devon, where we discussed the importance of autumn lawn care, several listeners have contacted us to ask how the process is done. I bought my first house with a lawn this year, writes Lynn Bayliss from London. After the scorching summer, it's looking pretty yellow and patchy. I know I'm meant to scarify and spike, but I don't know what this means or how to go about it. Please help. We caught up with garden manager Matthew Pottage, to hear his step-by-step guide to reinvigorating your turf to help you produce the perfect patch of green next year. So as we're moving into the autumn and summer's drawing to a close, it's a really good time to be looking at our lawns and thinking, is it as we want it? Can we do anything else with it? And does it set off the rest of your garden? Autumn's a brilliant time to get out the scarifier and actually clean through the grass. You can either do this mechanically with a scarifying machine or just get out the springbok rake and have a few Weetabix for your breakfast and rake away. And what that will do is pull out moss, it will pull out old dead grass, which we call thatch, and if there's any creeping weeds as well, such as buttercups and, and clover, it will really help to pull those out. 
the lawn can look a bit tatty afterwards and it does maybe look a bit kind of worn it might look like it's had a really thorough raking that's not a problem and this time of year when there's moisture in the ground it will actually help the lawn recover and the grass will come back much stronger as a result of it if you've got bare patches in your lawn or there's areas that you want to repair through turf the best thing to do there is really scuff up the soil again fluff it up add some sand or add any top dressing if you need to top up the level and then you can actually re-sow in the autumn you need to do it while there's still warm so you know before that any frost kick in but if you've got moisture there get some grass seed down and that should start to recover and green over for you if you want to go down the turf avenue it is worth spending a bit of time preparing the ground again if you've got fragments of old grass if you've got weeds growing there clear it out spray it off and then try and either rotivate or fluff up the soil again. What's important is when you lay turf that those roots really do adhere to the ground and they settle in, they establish properly. So just laying turf on compacted soil is not good news. So spend a bit of time fluffing it up, tread it, rake it so you've got a consolidated but kind of almost like coffee granules you want a fine bobbly texture that those roots are going to grow into easily and then lay that when there's no frost when there's still moisture around so autumn is good just before the kind of cold weather hits when you're repairing areas of your grass if they're wearing out you need to maybe look at why it's wearing out what's the use there is it the right place to have grass should you be having a path there is there a tree shading it out or is it just lots of hard wearing from your kids playing ball or running around and the things to look at is if you're going to go back to having lawn there and you want to seed it or you want to grass it over look at the different types of grass available for the situation there are grass seed mixes available for a shaded lawn and also for a hard wearing lawn or if you really want a fine lawn where you want good green stripes in it and it wants to look really really sharp then you would choose accordingly Grass mixes for more formal areas tend to have more fescues in and for hard wearing areas they tend to have more ryegrass content and that is just a bit tougher. One thing people always ask us is, oh the tree, nothing grows under the tree, the grass dies out and we're forever trying to re-establish the lawn under the shade of the tree. I would always say don't fight nature in that situation. The tree's going to have fibrous roots near the surface of the soil so allow the tree to have that space. Spray off or, or hoe off whatever's left of that grass, mulch underneath it. Let the tree have a circle of fertile soil that its roots are going to be making use of. You can plant cyclamen, you can plant spring bulbs, but just have a clean circle of mulch or soil. It helps the tree and you don't have this patchy half-dead effort of a lawn trying to establish where really it wouldn't naturally grow. Wisley Garden Manager Matthew Pottage So, what other jobs should you be tackling in your garden right now? Our experts here at RHS Garden Wisley have some suggestions. My name's Guy Barter and I work for the Royal Horticultural Society Advisory Team uh, here at Wisley Gardens, uh, giving advice to the public on all gardening matters. At this time of year, uh, things are coming to an end and Victorian gardeners used to lay very great stress on a good old tidy up, clean up, getting rid of any debris, uh, spraying plants to get rid of any pests and diseases, having a good bonfire. Nowadays, we adopt a more nuanced approach. Those pests and diseases that are present in every garden are actually food for birds and other insects. And in fact, at the moment, as well as pests, there's all sorts of beneficial insects. So if you treat and destroy uh, any harmful insects that are in your garden, you also run a very great risk of knocking back the beneficial insects as well. So you don't actually gain anything. 
There's a few exceptions to this. Um, one of them is red spider mite. Red spider mite is a tiny pest. You need a magnifying glass to see it. It lives on the underside of leaves. Runner beans this year are particularly badly affected because of the, the very hot, dry summer. That's what red spider mites really thrive on, hot, dry conditions, and they cause a mottling of the leaves. They're in very large numbers under runner beans at the moment, so it's worth considering treating them. Because you're about to eat the runner beans, you obviously don't want to use any, any potent insecticides, but you can use insecticides that are based on soap, uh, they're often called fatty acids on the label or on oils and these will knock back the red spider mites somewhat and there won't be any residues on the beans that you're going to consume. Having said that, um, the red spider mites will pretty soon uh, die back. What happens is they measure the day length and as the days get shorter and winter approaches, uh, they lay eggs and the population of adult red spider mites dies. And these eggs are... Um, usually for example on runner beans they'll be on the canes that support the runner beans and in greenhouses they'll be on the staging and um, on the pots so you may prefer rather than spray the plants which is always a bit hit and miss because of the the weather and the the leafiness of the plants is when the crop is finished uh, clean up your greenhouse with hot water and so and disinfectant or detergent is good enough and for the uh, canes that your runner beans grow up on either give them a good clean or do what the commercial growers do um, they have two sets of canes they use one set one year and then second set of canes the following year so the red spider mite isn't carried over from the crop one of the things that also attracts a lot of attention from members of the royal horticultural society are harlequin ladybirds these are an interesting ladybird they started off in mongolia and china and they were introduced into the united states where they um, spread rapidly they're introduced as a biological control but in the end they started eating everything in the united states and not long after they turned up in europe in holland and it didn't take long before they arrived in britain we seem to have had a, a lucky break here. They don't seem to be doing a very great deal of damage to our native insects, um, but they are abundant in late summer. Typically, they feed on uh, in aphids, that's green fly and black fly that live on trees. And as the winter draws in, down come great quantities of harlequin ladybirds. They're uh, a very variable insect, um, but they, they're generally ladybirdish. They hibernate in great numbers in your garden shed and under the bark of trees and things like that. And people often feel that they must destroy these harlequin ladybirds. Well, it's too late for that now, I'm afraid. Um, the harlequin ladybird is established in Britain, and uh, let's hope it continues not doing damage. But it's also a very useful insect for the garden. So, again, leave the harlequin ladybirds alone, and uh, they'll come out in the spring and start feeding on your green fly and scale insects. <laughs> Okay, so it's Matthew Pottage, garden manager at RHS Wisley. Now, in the autumn, when you've still got moisture and warmth around, it's also good to be dividing herbaceous perennials. There's many you can do this time of year. If you know it's a hardy herbaceous perennial, doesn't suffer with winter cold or winter damage, then now is a good time to do it. Things like agapanthus, which don't particularly enjoy the cold winters, they like the warmth, you would divide in the spring. But so many can be done now. And it's actually a good time to do it because you can see the crowns, you can see the growth points. And, and something like a hosta, which has got very obvious tufts of leaves, if you lift that in the winter, it's much harder to see what's going on there. So do it now while there's some leaf on it. You can divide up cleanly between shoots, either take a, fork, a couple of forks to it, or sometimes just slice a spade through it if it's a large, vigorous clump of something quite robust. And you can replant now, and you will actually get some active root growth still to help that re-establish ready for next spring. <laughs> 
While we're still in what I would call late summer, early autumn, this, the summer bedding is still looking very good. Uh, by the canal it looks really nice, and in the wall garden we've still got lots of colour. But the important thing to remember, if you're going to go in for winter bedding, which classically performs in the spring, and kind of sits looking respectable through the winter months, now is really the time to plant it, while there's still warmth in the soil for those all-important roots to start to establish. One of the things we're actually starting to do now at Wisley is start to pull out the summer bedding in mid-September, early September. And while it can be a bit heartbreaking, we're getting much better results getting the winter bedding in just that bit earlier. This year we're using quite a selection of things. We've got wallflowers, we've got bellis, we've got some primulas, and we've also got quite a few violas going in. And we're also inserting lots of corner stems and willow stems that we've harvested from other parts of the garden. And we're just literally inserting them among the bedding for a bit of colour, a bit of texture. They will actually sit there and hold their colour for the winter months. Some of them even take root, but then they're very easy just to pull out in the spring. And they give that all-important height, because winter bedding can often be quite flat and can be quite uninteresting. So inserting some coloured stems is quite a good fun way of just giving it a bit of a lift. Hi, my name is Mario and I look after the vegetable garden at RHS Garden Wesley. This is the right time to plant spring cabbages. Uh, A very good variety is April and there is another good variety that we tried this year called Durham Herley. It's a bit too late for seed sowing the cabbages, but uh, the right time to acquire the plants from a good garden centre. And the other crops that I'm sowing at the moment in the open ground are early peas, like Feltham early, and uh, broad beans. The classic one is uh, Aqua Dulce Claudia, which withstand the winter very well. And um, one I'm trying this year is called Luz de Otono, which translates from Spanish uh, autumn light, and is supposed to be very resistant to uh, cold winters. Other crops that I'm sowing at the moment, taking advantage of the soil that is still very warm and the germination is very quick is um, salad leaves belonging to the brassica family like mustard and rocket and also overwintering onions uh, such as shimonita or ishikura which are Japanese variety which will be ready in spring much earlier than the one sown in April. This is the right moment to finish harvesting the summer crops. Uh, My runner beans are coming to the end of the cycle and uh, the last of the early main crop potatoes are coming out of the ground this week. But also I'm almost ready to harvest the fennel, the bulbing fennel, and uh, I got a nice crop of spinach that is ready for harvesting and the cavolonero kale, uh, which will be harvested this week as well. Also, my early leeks are beginning to show signs of rust. So before they get completely spoiled and they start uh, going to flower, they will be harvested very, very soon.
You can find more tips and advice on growing your own fruit and vegetables on the Grow Your Own pages of the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash grow your own. Here you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. September and October are the perfect months to see ornamental grasses at their best. Here at RHS Garden Wisley, the sight of so many grasses in full flower in the garden borders is truly stunning. Not only do they look amazing, but grasses are very easy to grow and will thrive in varied soil conditions and even in containers. Plantsman and RHS committee member Neil Lucas has made ornamental grasses his life's work. He tells us why he believes every garden should feature some grasses. I'm Neil Lucas and I'm from Knoll Gardens in Dorset where we have a garden and specialist nursery growing ornamental grasses. I think grasses are actually so fabulous for us because they are so easy to use and I think that's perhaps the most important single thing that people need to know. I think from the early days some people are put off by grass um, because you can see the running types uh, and they're not so good for gardens but truthfully um, we have hundreds, literally hundreds of ornamental grasses that are not only beautiful, they are easy care so they look great for a large amount of the year and they take so little work. We talk about more wow and less work. I think certainly in the early days lots of people thought of grass as lawn and it's something that you played on and had to cut. We get that very seldom now as people are beginning to appreciate the wow factor. I think they're almost if we break it down there are two types of grass. There are the evergreens which often do well in shade um, but they are shorter and less showy in terms of flower but they do well in difficult garden conditions and then there are the big deciduous wow factor grasses like miscanthus, penicetums, millennias that really look fabulous that we're used to seeing in big naturalistic plantings that have lots of flower and look fantastic and the important point I think to get across here is that yes the evergreen ones look good for the winter as well but so do the deciduous ones because although they lose their colour there is something special in the grasses construction that makes the stems stand for the winter so you get this absolutely fabulous display in November December January and February and you only lose the display when you cut them down in March Miscanthus is a five or six or even seven foot grass with a massive foliage and all sorts of flowers on top from pinks to purples and mauves that gradually fade. Um, the penicetums are what we call fountain grasses or fluffies to use a technical term. They're usually two, three, four foot tall and they produce lots of almost, um, I suppose I shouldn't say loo brush like flowers, but far more attractive, very, very touchy feely and they produce hundreds and hundreds of them. Then there are panicums, which are the prairie switch grass, which are far more upright and have tiny flowers but they produce tens of thousands so they're almost cloud-like in their effect and I think this is what's so great with using grasses in gardens whatever miscanthus you use whatever panicum you use and perhaps whatever penicetum you use they are very different in shape and effect from each other so even somebody who has no real interest in gardening can put these three together and actually have a bit of a wow factor effect. Prairie-sized gardens are always great, of course, uh, um, but in fact, we are, I think we're responsible for helping lots of people produce little tiny prairies about the size of an average office just outside their front or back garden. I wouldn't obviously use the biggest miscanthus, for example, in a very small garden, but you can scale down, so there is no reason why, with just a very small garden, you need to lose out on the general effect and feel. 
most grasses will actually grow very well in containers. They have a fibrousy root system, and while obviously from time to time you need to repot them and whatever else you would need to do to plants in containers, just about all the grasses that grow well in our gardens will also grow well in pots, which is a great advantage. Green foliage, there is an awful lot, lot of, of course, and I think the majority is that. There are variegated foliages. Um, the flowers range from pinks, purples, mauves, whites, all of those ranges. But you have to bear in mind that it's not just the flower colour that a grass contributes. Even in an almost still day, they move in the slightest breeze, which looks fantastic. If the light shines on them behind morning or afternoon, they light up like a light bulb. So they do so many other things other than just pure flower. Choosing grasses to use in your own garden, you almost want to put the question round the other way. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.